Well, good morning, Harvest. Good morning, if you would, turn in your Bible to John chapter 1. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 1. And even as you're turning there, allow for me to pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace. Father, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. Father, we come to this word because we desire to hear from you. Father, we're ending into a season of the year where we are reminded once again of the depth of your goodness, of the provision of your grace, of the precious wonder of your Son coming to this earth. Father, I pray that these familiar truths would still strike us as rich and transformative truths. Father, I pray that your presence will be felt in this place, that your voice would be heard through the studying of your word, God. Meet us here. Meet us in our Myerstown campus. Father, do, do whatever it is you wish to do, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of Harvest said, amen. 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 Well, this is officially the first Sunday of Advent. Advent. Say Advent. Advent. Traditionally, Advent is those four Sundays leading up to Christmas. The word Advent means the arrival, the arrival of a notable person, the arrival, the coming of a notable thing or an event. I don't know about you, but some of my earliest memories come with the arrival of those that I love at Christmas. I can still remember as a little boy driving into my grandparents' driveway. I can remember walking up their front steps and I can remember my parents allowing me to be the one to knock on their door. I can still, in a sense, and maybe you can relate with this, I can still smell the smells and the, I can still feel kind of the warmth of the, of the hugs and I can still kind of recall what was waiting for me on the other side of the door. Oh, how I wouldn't give just about anything to be able to knock on that door again. I think of Christmas Eve, I think of, I think of Christmas morning, I think of Christmas morning how I would wake with my family and I would, we would rush and we would open all of our presents and we would do it so quickly that then all of a sudden we had our presents and we sat there and we stared at each other playing and doing the things that we do and then ultimately what did we do? We sat and we waited for the door to knock for, the, for someone else to come and bring us more presents. Remember as a little boy waiting for the door to knock. I remember running to the door as it knocked, knowing that on the other side of that door were the other set of grandparents with a whole lot more gifts to come and give to us. There's something about, there's something about the arrival of those we love at Christmas. What I wouldn't give to knock on the door again and what I, and what I wouldn't give to hear the knock One of my prayers for us this holiday season is that we wouldn't take for granted the arrival. That we wouldn't overlook, that we wouldn't rush past the arrivals of those that we love. Arrival brings joy.
But seasons change. And loved ones are only with us for a time. But the one thing that doesn't change is the longing that we sense inside of us to be with. This Christmas, please don't run past. Please don't miss. Please don't overlook the significance of the arrival. From whomever you may long to see and whatever relationship you may long to remedy. Know this, the one who loves us most, the God who grafted us in, the God who adopted us, the one who calls us his own, he knocked upon the door of this earth that his son may pass through and arrive bearing gifts. And he came in all of his splendor and all of his grandness bearing the gifts of virtue, bearing the gifts of glory, bearing the gifts of redemption, and ultimately bearing the eternal gift of salvation. You see, this Advent season, our focus is incredibly simple. Focus on the arrival of Jesus. And to receive the gifts that he's brought. So this morning, I wonder, has Christ knocked upon the door of your heart? Is Christ knocking upon the door of your heart? Have you answered his call in your life? And if he has, is there evidence that Jesus Christ has actually arrived, that he's actually entered in, that you've actually welcomed him? Have you recognized his coming? Have you heard his voice? You see, the arrival of Jesus coming to this earth will demonstrate itself in key virtues that we celebrate this year. Jesus, you see, he is our faith, but he calls us to faith. Jesus, he is our hope, but he also calls us to hope. Jesus, he is our joy, he is our love, he is our peace, but he calls us, church, to those things as well. And so today, we're on this. Today, we're on this. We're on this, the virtue of faith. Say faith. We're on the arrival, we're on the arrival of faith. Galatians 3, verse 23 says this. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until, until Christ came. Until who came? Tell me, who came? Tell me, tell me, it was Christ. Christ came. Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for Jesus Christ. You are, because of Jesus Christ, you are the sons of God through faith. The virtue of the day, the virtue that Christmas that we celebrate is faith. Just say it one more time with me so I know that you're here. Say faith. We're ready to celebrate this. Complete confidence in Jesus Christ. Complete trust. Complete trust in him. And some of you may be saying, is faith really a virtue though? I mean, you either have it or you don't. Like how do you actually strengthen faith? How does faith be, how is it regarded actually as a virtue? Listen, faith you will hear today is a gift that God grants unto us. But the way we strengthen it as a virtue, by the, through the power of his spirit, there are times when we don't feel 
There are times when we don't act upon or regard the faith that we once placed our trust in as the guiding entity by which we go about our lives. And so the virtue of faith is this. It's reminding my feelings what I believe. It's renewing my mind and fashioning it back to that which is eternal, timeless, objective, that truth which, through which God has saved me. Listen, our entire Christmas celebration is grounded on this, faith. Our entire Christmas is grounded on this, faith. For what do we have to celebrate if we don't have faith? What do we have to celebrate if we don't believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, the eternal Son of God? This morning in John chapter 1, we are going to see three ways that faith enables us to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. Three ways that faith enables us to celebrate uh, the arrival of Jesus. So John, John chapter 1. Read with me if you would. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Logos. It's where we get the word Logo. And what you come to realize is this, is that Jesus Christ in the beginning was the very image, the very image of God. He is the very embodiment in the flesh of God eternal. He is the word. And just as words capture and reveal the essence of our heart, Jesus Christ reveals the essence of the Father unto us. In the beginning was the word. Notice the origin of the arrival. Notice what the one whom we worship this morning, notice from where he came. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the the Word was God. In the beginning, our God, Jesus Christ, the Word, he is eternal. He was in the beginning. You see, all things were made through him, and without him, anything, nothing was made. You see, our God is eternal. Our God is also omnipotent. Think of something. It's here because God allowed it. Look at your neighbor and say, God made you. Go ahead, just do that. Myerstown, do that. Look at your neighbor, say, God made you. Second service, do that. Look at one another, say, God made you. Without him was nothing made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Listen, light shines in the darkness. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Our God left eternity. Our God, being omnipotent, came among those who were powerless. Our God, being sovereign, came amongst those who had no control. Our God, who is the light that defeats all of darkness, the one who is victorious over all things, came to dwell amongst the defeated. That's from where he came. And now the preparation of his arrival, verse 6, and there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Isaiah chapter 40 tells us one would come. Isaiah chapter 40 prophesies that there would be one who would go before. And so accordance to God's holy word, the preparation for Jesus' coming, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear 
witness about the light that all might believe through him. John wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. We know from where the origin, from where he arrived, this is the preparation of his arrival, now the arrival. Are you ready? Here it comes. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor for the will of man, but God himself. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Three ways faith enables us to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. Here's the first one. Faith enables us to realize the significance of Jesus' coming. Faith enables us to realize the significance of Jesus' coming. Note this, saving faith is not merely recognizing Jesus came. Saving faith is not merely saying, yeah, 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 I, I get that. Uh, there was this guy, he came to this earth, his name was Jesus. Very few people deny that Jesus walked on the earth. Very reputable scholars and historians, both secular and spiritual, agree. Jesus came. Jesus came. And so the issue at hand is not merely acknowledging Jesus' advent. It's not merely acknowledging Jesus' coming. It's truly grasping the significance of why Jesus came. Verse 9 says this, Jesus came, Jesus came as the light. Jesus came as the light, which, which gives light to everyone. And so why did Jesus came? Jesus came, Jesus came to be the light. And so um, what the lights do, what the lights do, lights dispel darkness, correct? Lights enlighten, lights, lights shed light on things. Lights light your way and your path. And so you may be wondering what I'm holding and what I'm holding is a light. Is it still on? Is it? Someone convinced me one time that running early in the morning was fun. <laughs> they said, but it's not fun in the dark. And so what you really need if you want early morning running to be fun is you need a headlamp for your forehead. And while you may look foolish with a headlamp on your head, you look more foolish with a, butt, with a brush burn on your face when you fall. And so what I realized is they were wrong about both things. <laughs> early morning nor early morning running was much fun. But what I did realize is I didn't fall on my face as I ran for everywhere I looked. I could see. And so since I could see it, I was now responsible for that which I, could, which I could see. And since I could see the pothole, I couldn't blame the darkness for tripping over the pothole as I ran. 
And as we came up to the curb, because I could see the curb, I couldn't blame the darkness for tripping over the curb. You see, the light came, and the light enlightens every man to the extent that we now, because we've been enlightened, we now have a responsibility now to entertain what does it mean, this thing that we now see. You see, the light came because the light enlightens. And here's the deal about light. Darkness has no chance against light. You can shroud the light, but inside my hands right now, if you can see it, is a bright light. The light doesn't go away. You can hide it. You can deny it. You can close your eyes. You can put a bushel over it. I think there's a verse for that that says don't. But you will, we will never defeat the light. It says this, he came as the light. He came to enlighten men. But it also says this, he is the true light. Say true. True, he's the true light. It means trustworthy. It means genuine. Here's what you need to realize. Jesus Christ was the culmination of the enlightenment of God. Because God had been enlightening men throughout the ages. He'd been enlightening them through the Old Testament scriptures. He'd been enlightening them through the prophets. He'd been enlightening them according to Romans chapter 1. We've even been enlightened by creation itself. Romans chapter 1 says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, them meaning all of us. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, the divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we have no excuse. Once the light shines, we're responsible for that which we see. Creation sheds light. But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we'd also have to admit this. Your, your own conscience sheds light. The fact that you can discern, in a sense, right from wrong, and that you have guilt within you. Romans chapter 2 actually says this. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, the gospel of Jesus, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. God's been shedding light. He's been shedding light through his creation. He's been shedding light through it within our conscience. He's been shedding light in his word. And now you have the very word of God, the very enlightenment itself, the truest, the brightest, the strongest, the culmination of all lights took on flesh and dwelt among us. And if creation causes us to be responsible, if our own conscience causes us to be responsible, how much more does the light of Jesus walking this earth cause us to be responsible. And so the question is this, have you made a choice? What have you done with what you've known? How do you respond to that which you see and that which you hear? Basically, at Christmas, the world stops and has to consider, who is Jesus? Jesus. 
faith enables us. Faith enables us not just to see. It enables us to see with significance. It doesn't enable us just to see. It enables us to grasp. Faith enables us to actually worship faith. It's faith. You see, without it, without it, it's impossible to please him, Hebrews eleven six 6 says. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It takes faith to believe, but without it, but without it, but without it, we are essentially blind. Look at the text. The true light, which gives light to everyone, we've all been enlightened to the place of responsibility. He was coming into the world. You see, he was in the world. He came and walked amongst general revelation in the sense that, look, he came to walk amongst that which he created. But look, 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 the world that was made through him, he came to walk on it. Yet the world did not know him. How can you speak of anything more ironic? The specific, the acute, the brightest revelation came to walk the general revelation and we still didn't get it. Verse 11, he came to his own. He came to those that would have known the words of the prophets. He came among those whom John the Baptist would have walked amongst and would have reminded and said, hey, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Be be on the lookout, he's coming to his own. Those who would have been enlightened, especially in their conscience. But they did not receive him. Note this, they could see the light, but they chose not to receive it. They could see the light, but they chose not to receive it. The religious, those who would have practiced, those who would have sought after Yahweh, those who would have been amongst the ones who came to worship service after worship service after worship service, they would have physically and practically seen him. And oh, how so many of us come to worship and we see the effects of the light that came. And we come and we see... But have we, have you, have we actually received the light that has come? It's not enough just to come and see. It's let you have to come and receive. You have to bow your heart. You have to bend your knee. You have to lay yourself low. You have to repent of your sins. You have to come humbly. You have to say with your mouth that Jesus is Savior and Lord. I see and I receive. This is Christmas. Not merely that we see that a baby came, but that we receive the fact that he grew into stature and strength, and he lived a perfect life, and he died a painful death for us. You see, when you can see the significance of that, it enables us, faith enables us, point two, to actually receive, to actually receive the security of Jesus' arrival. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, 
To all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, to those who received him, to those who received him. How do we go about receiving him? What does the text say? He says, to those who received him. And then John's like, well, let's not, know, let's not be ambiguous about this whole receiving thing. Because some people may kind of have the wrong idea that receiving him is kind of like, yeah, come on, buddy up with me and let me come up alongside. He said, no, this is what receiving means. To believe in his name. To believe. To believe. Say believe. believe. Now say faith. Believe. To believe is to have, to have faith, and to believe is to have the ultimate confidence in that which is. And so we receive him. We receive him by faith. We believe. We believe who he says he is. In this passage alone, we believe he's the word, the very revelation of God. We believe he's the truest light. He's the one who reveals the integrity and the character and the very manifestation of God in the flesh among us. This text alone, we come to believe that he's the creator of the earth. We come to believe that he's the redeemer, that he's the sustainer of all things. How about this? To believe is to confess and receive that he is my Savior and he is my Lord. He is my Lord. He is my boss. He's not my buddy. He's my king. He tells me where to go and he shows me what to do. And it's me surrendering my full self, laying my full self low before him. Because when I surrender myself, when I lay down all of my rights Jesus then, in response, gives us the most precious right of all. You see it in the text? Do you see it? When you call him Lord and you surrender all of your life, all of your rights, I love this. But to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right. He gave them the right. He gave them the right to become the children of God. You lay down your rights and you actually are given the greatest, most precious, most eternal right that one could actually be given. You surrender your wandering for belonging. You surrender your darkness for light. You surrender your ambiguity for the clarity of his word. You surrender your brokenness and you surrender your abandonment. You give it all over to the Lord. And he says, come on, now let me, let me replace all that with me. Friends, this Christmas season, it is so crucial and it is so important for you to realize that we are a family. We're not like a family. 
It's not merely a metaphor. It is a fact. The reason why we hold hands, the reason why we do what we do, the reason why we greet each other the way we greet each other, the reason why we come into this place is because God has brought us here. He calls us a family. We are a family. When you go, when you enter the doors of your small group, when you knock upon the door of your small group, when you enter the doors of this church, it ought to feel as if you're coming amongst family. And I get that it doesn't feel that way for all of you, but this is the virtue of faith. God has told me that you are my family. And some days it doesn't feel like it. Some days we're going to feel overlooked. Some days we're going to wonder. But God says this, this is the virtue of faith at Christmas. Even if the phone doesn't ring, like God still cares. Even if the knock never comes. The Lord is my portion. This is the family. This is the family. This is not a theater. This is not a business. This is not a country club. But you're like, you got big screens. It kind of feels like a theater. You know what? When you come to my house, when family comes to my house, you know what I want to show them? I want to show them my big screen TV. Because we're family, we share. We share the effects of God. We share and we delight in the glory of God. And we use the arts to worship God. And we're blending old generation with the new generation. And we sang a hymn today that blended the two. Why? Because we're a family. And families are made up of young. And families are made up of old. And families come around the tree at Christmas. And we have new traditions. And we have old traditions. But at the center of all of it is we're family. And we're going to worship the king that overtakes it all. Amen. Now more than ever, we need each other. It's Christmas. Now more than ever, we have to remind ourselves that God our Father is near to the brokenhearted, and so should we be. There is no reason why any person who attends harvest should be alone at Christmas. There is no reason. If there's danger of you being alone at Christmas, please let us know. There's just really no reason. We're a family. We're a family. We're a family. And what do families do? Families open their homes. Families care for. Families graft in. Families. Listen, faith enables us to feel a deep sense of security amongst God's people. And the virtue of faith causes me to remind myself of this, even when it may not be what I feel. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
You know why that verse is true? You know why we can be confident that we're never going to be separated from God? You know why we can be confident that we can't be taken out of his family at any time? This Christmas passage actually tells us. To all who received him and to all who believed in his name, that feels like I'm receiving and it feels like I'm believing and I am and I am. And look at what happens. He gives me the right to become a child of his. But notice this. How did that happen? How were we born? We're born again, but how? Not by blood, nor by the, nor by the act of the will or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but it happened by God. You know why you can't be taken out of God's family? Because God put you in it. God put you in it. God chose you. One of the most glorious tenets of all of theology is coming to realize that you're a sinner that can't save yourself. And that Jesus Christ, the very gift of salvation, the very gift of faith itself was embodied in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit blesses us with the very gift of faith that we may believe. You didn't choose God, he chose you. And then in choosing you, he gave you the, he gave you the faith to choose him back. You were born again. It really sounds like an old-fashioned word, right? But you weren't born again by flesh. You weren't born again by natural birth. You weren't born again, this text says, by a decision of your own will. You weren't born again by your own decision. You weren't born again by somebody else's decision, by somebody else's will. You're not grandfathered into this. It is 100% the will of God. God chose you and he invited you and we responded by God's grace. Think of it. Can you imagine and can you believe that you were on the mind of God at Christmas? That's what this is saying to me. That when Mary laid Jesus in the manger, as Jesus Christ himself grew in stature and wisdom, when he, was, when he went to the temple and he marveled the teachers, and he was confirmed and given his name. When, 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 when he called his disciples, when he gave them the great commission, note this, when Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, he knew the message of the gospel would reach you. Do you understand the significance of Christmas? Do you understand when you peer in the theater of your mind upon the manger, however you may view this thing, when you look down upon God in the flesh, that that God in the flesh was thinking of you and me? And why would he think of us? Only to the extent that we collectively would become together in unity for by our love as a secure family, we would glorify our Father in heaven. Is there any greater holiday in all of the earth where the church of God ought to come together in all of its fullness and security and show our unity? Glory falls at Christmas because the church, because families put it all aside. And if we can do it once a year, this passage tells me that we, through the power of God's grace, can get along on the days that follow and on the days that lead up to it as well.
when you realize the significance of his coming. When you realize the security that is given to us. by his arrival and by your arrival and my arrival into this family, then church, then we can rejoice. Faith enables us to rejoice. Faith enables us to rejoice in seeing the glory of Jesus' arrival. We can't rejoice until we see the significance. We can't receive the security until we see, but then once we receive, once we come to bask in this, now, now comes worship. Now it comes, verse 14. And the word, the logos, the logo, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. Just stop and consider the word becoming flesh. Jesus did not put on an earth suit. I've heard that preached in illustrative fashion, like he put on an earth suit. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. He didn't just appear to be a man. Our God became a man, 100% God, 100% man. It wasn't a 50-50 proposition. It wasn't a hard candy shell. It wasn't just this kind of earth sooty type thing. He became a man. You got to have faith to believe that. Christmas says God came. Christmas says God came. Christmas says God arrived. Christmas says God knocked and God opened and God delivered and God came and God grew and God lived perfectly and God died and God went to the grave and God rose again. That's what Christmas says. He didn't just become a man though. The creator entered creation and he, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Why? Why did he do this? For God so loved the world. For God so loved those he created. For God so loved those whom he was drawing to himself. God so loved God so loved, and our God is a promise keeper. And from Genesis chapter 3, it was promised that a redeemer would come and fix it all. From the time sin entered the world, we were told that one would come and he would crush the heel of the one who caused it all and that his foot would be bruised. He would have to endure pain on our behalf in the rendering of this fullness. But in his coming, in his coming, He would demonstrate and he would make all things new and well again because he loved the creator, so loved the world. He loved that which he created and so the creator entered the creation so that he could redeem and he could restore the very fingerprints that were pressed upon the creation from the beginning and so that he could restore relationship with you and I. And if you've heard that before, listen to it again. 
He dwelt, he dwelt, he dwelt, he dwelt. The Greek root word there is skeno, 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 that he dwelt, that he tabernacled, that he actually tented, that he lived among us, that he tabernacled among us. It reminds us, it's words that liken us and take us back to the Old Testament. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father. Just as God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle in the days of old, just as the glory of God was in the very Shekinah, glowed above the Ark of the Covenant, that very glory was embodied within Jesus Christ. The glory was so evident within Jesus that John says, we have seen his glory, the only glory as the only Son from the Father. Think about John. Think about how he went upon the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw the very Shekinah of God, but we also, he also saw God's glory in the words of Jesus. He saw the glory of God resonate from the actions and the miracles of Jesus. The glory of God manifests itself in the sacrifice of Jesus. The glory of God is demonstrated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The glory of God resides within you when you believe, when you have faith. His very Holy Spirit indwells you. It says this, it says this, this about the glory. We've seen his glory as the glory of the only son from the father. This glory is full of grace and his glory is full of truth. Now hang with me on this. This vernacular, this wording, this this very word imagery harkens back to, to Exodus chapter 33 where Moses actually came and had the audacity to come before the Lord and say, show me your glory. Read this with me, Exodus 33, it'll be on the screen. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, which is the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put a cleft, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. 34 verse 5, And so the Lord then descended, as he said, in a cloud, and he stood with him there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed before him, and he proclaimed, and he proclaimed, Lord, Lord, a God merciful, a God gracious, a God who's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so the glory of God passed by. And how did Moses describe it? As the one full of grace and mercy and abundance and truth. 
Listen, that which Moses could not gaze upon was embodied within the baby. The greatness of God's glory was wrapped in the form of a child. A child named Jesus. A baby who would grow in wisdom, stature, and strength. One who we believe by faith, by the virtue of faith, we remind ourselves because Christmas calls us to do so. One who lived the perfect life. One who died a painful death. One who was laid in a borrowed tomb. One who would raise again three days later. One who walked among his disciples who were seen by many. The one who stood upon the mountaintop and left a mission for us to carry forth. This God is the one who came. And for those who believe, this text says, for those who believe, they have seen his glory. They saw his glory then. Friends, listen, we experience his glory now. But how does it come? His glory is seen by grace. And this grace is received through truth. Glory is seen in grace, but this grace is received through truth, and this truth is realized only by faith. And so the question today is this. Do you see? For even those who walk the earth amongst Jesus saw When the creator came and walked amongst the created, they saw him. They could see him, but they chose not to receive him. Even those for whom he came, even the one who was longing and looking for a Messiah, even unto them they saw. They could see. And so today the question is this, the light has been shown. For this light, this one Jesus Christ, enlightens every man, woman, and child. And so today we leave with this. Grace. Grace is offered. But grace is received in bending our knee to this truth. Jesus Christ, Son of God, died upon the cross for your sins. Was buried, was rose again sits at the right hand of the Father, and he offers salvation to you. What do you need to do? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's time to see. It's time to receive. It's time to come home, for the Lord is calling you to himself, and he delights, and for his family to place their arms around you that we may bask in the splendor of his glory. Church, can we rejoice in this? Would you stand with me now? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father. 
that you would have met us here in this way. And so now, God, we would ask that you would show us, show us your glory, show us your glory within the power of your spirit, within the presence of our heart. May we reflect upon that which you promised, the gift that you sent. Father, we delight in this. We delight that you've opened our eyes by faith to the significance of your son's coming. We delight in this, that you've received us securely into your family. Lord God, we delight in this, and now we rejoice in the presence of your glory. And so now we would sing back to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing.